announcements this morning. Um, one of them that's not up there but applies for next weekend, uh, next Sunday, is we have our donut mingle. Um, yeah, so come early, come around 10, 15, 10, 20. Uh, we'll have donuts. Um, I think that there, I don't know if there's a sign up like last time for people who are going to bring, yes, sign up. Um, prob what? On Facebook, uh, there will be a sign up for those of you who are willing to bring donuts. Um, so go ahead and sign up for that so that way everybody gets to eat something. Yeah, um, our first announcement is going to be about Spring Showcase. Yay! I'm sure that there are lots of you who are looking to sell some tickets. Um, so stay behind after church today and find someone from Focus and try and buy your ticket from them to support them uh, in their trick in their trip to Washington. Because that's if you don't know what Spring Showcase is about. Uh, this is to help sponsor uh, the students that we, that FOCUS is sending to Sikkim, our student ministry um, training uh, trip. So yeah. Our next announcement is going to be, uh, I think Leslie was going to talk about the women's retreat. Um, but yeah, here's a couple little information about it. And then Leslie will talk a little bit more about it when she comes up. Um, so that's it for announcements. Donut Mingle, get your tickets for a showcase, and you'll hear more about the ladies' retreat from Leslie. Um, and then I'm going to go ahead and talk about uh, workplace outreach. I know Gabe got to talk to y'all two weeks ago and share his story about his coworker, um, who you know he's working on breaking the boundaries between being friends at work and being friends. Um, and so mine is. Um, I have a coworker who I'm with, and uh, lately at work there's been a whole lot of drama, um, and uh, it's been really hard uh, for us to all work together. Um, and usually I just catch up with her at work. I'm just like, I'll see her tomorrow. Like I know today was hard. I'll catch up with her after some. She gets some sleep and you know thinks it off. You know has some time. Um, but uh, I just uh, knew that it, this conversation couldn't wait until tomorrow, um, that she needed someone to check in with her and see if she was okay and um, really, really be there for her as someone who like knew what she was going through at work and could speak into that. Uh, and so I just message her on Facebook, because I don't have her phone number, but like I know that you're on Facebook, and I messaged her, and I just said, hey, I know that today was really rough. How are you doing? Um, and we talked quite a bit at work, but she spilled way more than she would me checking up with her in the morning and her giving, you know, the usual, like, oh, man, like, yeah, that was really hard, but, like, I'm good, and I'm strong, and I love the Lord, but in that moment, um, we were able to really experience some vulnerability, uh, and she was really able to get some things off of her chest, and we were able to pray, and she knows that, you know, she has someone 
on her side. You know, she knows, she knows the Lord, and she knows that the Lord is there for her, but to just have a friend who's there for you at work and outside of work. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really sweet moment for her. Um, we still want to hear from some of y'all. Um, if, if you are, uh, if you have some stories about your workplace outreach, like come find Gabe or I or, uh, Ryan, um, Kristen, we're, you know, a part of our group to just hear your story. And we want to share that with our church. Um, so real quick, I'm going to can pray over workplace outreach as you go out this week, that you continue to be mindful um, that sometimes conversations don't need to wait until the next work day. Sometimes you need to just go ahead and reach out to them and ask, how are you doing? Um, so yeah, so if you'll go ahead and pray with me. Dear God, um, thank you for this wonderful day, wonderful Sunday together. Um, I just want to pray over our church body as they go out this week, um, as they go into their workplaces, um, that they let their coworkers know that they're their friends, that we want to know how they're really doing, that they're not just people that we experience for eight hours out of our day. Um, we are really there to live lives with them and continue the axiom that outreach is a lifestyle and not an event. Um, so yeah, be, be with our, be with our body this week as we go out and do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys are the best. Okay. Wait a second. I am having all kinds of problems this morning. Ugh. Okay. My name is Leslie Rowe, and I'm on staff here at Denton North. If this is your first time here, um, welcome. We love having new people with us, and we love having our regular people with us, too. Um, I just wanted to start this morning. We had a um, meeting with Brad and Don and Kurt and I. That's our elders and ministers meeting. Um, and we were talking about um, the fact that our contribution has been really strong, and we've been able to uh, pay for all of our expenses out of the contribution each week, and so we're not bleeding out money like we were back at the beginning of the school year. Um, we did a series of sermons then and just kind of challenged and taught about giving, and you guys were extremely um, receptive to that, and you followed up with that, um, with your actions, and I just want you to know that your elders and your staff really appreciate that. I heard lots of conversations about people getting together at lunch and talking about those challenges and what they had learned about giving and making practical changes in their budgets to allow them to give more. And it's really reflected in the way that we've been able to take care of our expenses as a church body. And so we just want you guys to know how much we appreciate that. Um, how much we love you, and that you're just, you just really are the best, and we just um, are super appreciative. So I want to get that slide back up about women's retreat. I just want to talk about that for just a second. So today starts our registration for the ladies' retreat. Um, it is called Remember to Remember, and we're going to have an outside speaker for this one. For those of you who know Tori Diaz, she has a longtime friend named Dorothy that has mentored her 
Um, Dorothy is a woman that is older in age than I am, just to kind of give you an idea of who we're talking about. And she is going to come and speak at our retreat. And so I would encourage as many of you, this is open to any of our women that want to come. So if you are able to come, we would love to have you. Um, when you go to this link right here, this is the sign up link. And so if you go there, you're gonna see that you have options for two people to a room or four people to a room. It will be more expensive if you only have two in a room. You'll be able to check what meals you want. So if you're gonna come and just not eat, then don't check any of the meals, like if you're bringing your own food. Um, if you're only gonna be there for a couple of meals, check which meals you'll be there for. If you're not staying overnight, there's a day fee plus any meals that you eat. So look for those things when you're signing up and then you're going to add up your total and click submit. There is no way to pay on this particular signup. All this is is a signup. So after you sign up online, then you'll need to pay me. I'll take your payment, okay? <laughs> and so do that as soon um, as you can after you've signed up. But we'll be doing this for the next um, three weeks, I think. Um, but really more than anything, this is with all of our churches. So um, it's a really neat time to be with other women throughout the body. And we, I would just really encourage you to come. If you have any questions about that, um, please come and see me. I'll be happy to answer any questions. I know it's hard just in a quick announcement like that to get the full picture of things. Um, so if you need any help with signing up or anything like that, just let me know. And I'm just going to get real with you this morning right from the start so that hopefully I can just let some of this go and be able to carry on with my sermon. So I am wearing a heart monitor on this side, and I am wearing a mic on this side, and I'm worried about the leads that are on my heart monitor because they show every once in a while. And so I'm very distracted by all of that this morning, and I feel like I am full of things up here <laughs> that are monitoring me. And, uh, and so I, I am wearing the heart monitor because I was having hip surgery, they did an EKG, it came back irregular, so they're checking all the things to make sure that everything is all right. So nothing big or major, just checking it out. Um, but I would love to forget that it's there and forget about worrying about all of this up here. And my mic didn't fit right this morning and it's very loose on my head. So now I've got it out. Now I can just forget about it. And hopefully we can get started. Um, so we have been in the middle of a sermon series on how to relate God's character to emotions. We're using Isaiah 40 as our text, and we are memorizing Isaiah 40. So is there anybody who would like to start this morning by standing up and reciting what we've done so far in Isaiah 40? You can either do verses 3 through 5, or you can do verses 1 through 5, whichever you feel better prepared for. Anybody brave enough to go for it? I see some, oh, back here. Okay, will you take Pedro the microphone, please? Hello. Okay, so Isaiah uh, 41 through five says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Um, hold on. Oh, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, 
declare to her that all of her sins have been forgiven and that she has received from the Lord, the Lord's hand, uh, double for all of her sins. A voice in the wilderness calling, or no, a voice in the wilderness, uh, no, hold on, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Um, what's the next part? In the, in the, the, the valleys will be made, well, the valleys will be raised and the mountains and hills will, may, will be made low. Um, what's the next part? I, the I rough, remember. huh? The rough ground. The rough ground will be made level and the rugged places a plain. For the Lord, for the Lord's glory will be revealed uh, and all people will come together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, Catherine. That's okay. One through four is good. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord, uh, or says your God. Uh, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been paid for, that her sins, oh wait, that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, and that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice in the wilderness calls out, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every mountain and hill will be made, oh, every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground will be made level, and the rugged place is a plain. Awesome. Thank you. So I just want to remind you guys to be working on memorizing this. And the point of memorizing this is not so that you can say, I get a gold star, look at me, I did the homework. The point of memorizing this is so that it resides in your heart, so that when you need comfort, when you need encouragement, when you feel fearful, that you have the truth of God to speak to you in that. And so that's the reason that we're working on memorizing this. And I'm working on memorizing this as well. And one of the things that I have found helpful is I very much want to memorize it exactly like it is in the, the Bible. But a lot of times when I do that, I'm not thinking about what it means. I'm thinking about repeating the words exactly like they are. And I found it's much easier for me to remember if I will think about what it means, then the words follow in a, in a way that makes sense and that follows the Bible. Maybe not just exactly, but it means something. And so it's easier for me to remember. So that's just a little hint if that helps you any. Okay, we're going to look at three through five today. Um, Sean, will you stand up? And we take him the mic. And Sean's going to read this um, to us as we think about three through five this morning. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level the rugged place of plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will, set, will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the emotion that I want to tie to this this morning is the emotion of guilt. And really there are two types of guilt, and so I want to clarify this here with two different stories. So when I was in sixth grade, um, we took a field trip to see the opera Madame Butterfly. It was the first time that most of us had ever been to an opera, 
Everybody dressed up like the girls all wore dresses, the guys wore suits and ties, and we went to the opera. And <laughs> while we were there, somebody, or several somebodies, thought it would be really funny to throw popcorn into the orchestra pit. And so the orchestra is playing during Madame Butterfly, and all this popcorn starts flying into the orchestra pit. Um, you might think Brad was there, but he was not there that day. And so needless to say, when we got back to school, we were in a bit of trouble. And so what they did was they kept all of us, the entire sixth grade class, after school to try and get to the bottom of who had done this. And so I immediately started crying. Why? Because I don't like to be in trouble. And because I felt guilty. Now, did I throw popcorn into the orchestra pit? Yes. No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. It is against my nature to get in trouble. Um, but I still felt guilty for it. And so one of the guys that did throw popcorn into the orchestra pit felt so bad for me that he went up to the principal and he was like, I just want to tell you that Leslie had nothing to do with it. She's really upset. Could you please just let her go home? And so the principal pulls me aside and he's like, did you throw uh, popcorn into the orchestra pit? And I was like, no, sir, I didn't. <laughs> and he said, do you know who throw, threw popcorn into the orchestra pit? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, okay, you can go home. <laughs> so I went home. But that kind of guilt is not the kind of guilt I'm talking about this morning. I was not guilty. I had done nothing wrong, but I felt false guilt. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. The second story is in Brad's sermon last week, he talked about speaking the truth tenderly. And when he talked about that, I immediately felt guilty for a time recently when I had not spoken the truth tenderly. I'd spoken the truth, but I hadn't spoken it tenderly. And in that case, I was guilty. And I felt remorse for that. I felt a sense of, um, I felt bad for that. Okay, that's the kind of guilt I'm talking about. It's the kind of guilt we feel when we really have done something wrong. So just keep that in mind as we go through the sermon this morning. And what I hope that you'll see through our talk this morning is that the answer to our guilt when we are truly guilty is repentance and the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. So those are the two things I hope that you'll see. So this particular passage in Isaiah, we've gone from comfort my people and we've, it seems like a very abrupt transition into the voice of one calling in the wilderness. God is getting straight to the point here. And so what we want to figure out is what exactly is that point that he's getting to? So in ancient times, a king would send forerunners, and they would scout the way, they would remove the impediments to going through that particular area. Like there was no 35 for people to go through to get through that area. It was rugged, it was dangerous, and so people went and prepared the way. They also announced or proclaimed that the king would be coming. The original reference here would have been about 
the Jewish exiles returning from Babylonian captivity and God leading them through the desert back to their homeland. But it also parallels back to another captivity. It parallels back to God delivering the Egyptians, I mean, the Israelites from Egypt and out of that Egyptian captivity and leading them through the desert to the promised land. And so what we see is a victorious king, our God, leading his people, delivering his people home. So I think that when we look at where we see these words again, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, where do we see that again? We see that in all of the Gospels. So we see it again in the Gospels, and if we look there, I think we can figure out what the point is that God is getting to so abruptly here. Who's got uh, Matthew 3, 1 through 3? Ah, over here, Nicole. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of, spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Okay, so we see John preparing the way for who? For Jesus. And so I would suggest to you that what God is getting to right here is Jesus. And what we're seeing here is that there's a shadow of an even higher, more important deliverance from captivity. And that is Jesus coming to deliver his people from the captivity of sin and death. And it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 2.14, where it says, Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. It reminds me of Romans 8.37, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so this idea of preparing the way for the Lord is a word picture. It's a word picture of what has to happen in our hearts because our hearts are like the desert that had to prepare, they had to prepare the way for the Lord in. Our hearts are what need to be prepared. And so in the scripture that Nicole just read, what we see is that our hearts are prepared through repentance. Our hearts are prepared through repentance. And so the first thing I want to say about repentance is that biblical repentance requires us to see our sin, okay? Because there's more than just biblical repentance. Like, there's worldly repentance that's just more about being sorry, and sometimes just being sorry I got caught, um, but not really about any kind of change. But biblical repentance requires that we see our sin, I've shared with you guys several times that in my natural self, if I just don't think about it and I just kind of go with what's natural for me, that I see things very black and white. And so it probably doesn't surprise you that if I see things very black and white, that I'm also a rule follower. And for many years, I took a lot of pride in the fact that I was a rule follower, and I thought that that was a very good thing. 
I thought because I followed rules that I was right. And as a conscientious person as well, being right is very important and being wrong is very scary. And over several years, God convicted me that following rules did not make me right. Furthermore, he showed me that I didn't follow rules to please him, which is what I always told myself, but that I followed them so that I could feel right, because that's what I was after, was feeling like I was right. And I'm a slow learner, so at first I didn't see the problem with that. But as he patiently taught me, and he did that through his word, he did that through his Holy Spirit, he did that through other Christians, here's what I discovered is the problem. You can't always be right. You just can't. You can't always be right, but if you need to feel right, to feel loved and valued and saved, then what do you do when you're wrong? Like, what do you do with that? What do you do when you sin? What do you do when you're wrong? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You justify it because I can't be wrong. So I've got to justify why that wrong really isn't wrong. It's really okay. And I can't see my sin when I do that. So if you can't see your sin, then you don't repent of your sin. And the truth is, I don't need to be afraid of being wrong. I don't need to be afraid of my sin. What I need to be afraid of is the delusion that I'm right. The delusion that I'm right, that's where the real danger is. And I found it interesting that when I looked up what the opposite of repentant is, the opposite is perfection, right, and pride. Ouch. And I did not look that up in a Bible dictionary or a Bible thesaurus. That's just what the normal thesaurus says is the opposite of repentant. Those don't make a straight highway for God to come. Those don't prepare my heart. Repentance is what prepares my heart. Those things build up mountains. Those things build up mountains. And so when I see my sin, I can repent, and God can bring those mountains low. On the other hand, here's the other side of this. Some people don't feel like and justify that they're right, they go the other direction. And the other direction is that I'm so unworthy, I'm worthless, I'm not valuable. And so why would I repent? I don't deserve it. I'm just going to repeat the same sins later. Why would I repent? We dig a valley for ourselves. But God raises up that valley, and he makes, the, he makes the ground level so that we can see our sin for what it is, and we can repent. In the screw tape letters in chapter 12, screw tape tells Wormwood that he should keep the patient from recognizing this vague feeling that he hasn't been doing very well lately. Just this vague feeling, I haven't been doing very well lately. 
He doesn't want him to recognize that as sin. He doesn't want him to recognize that as guilt that's pointing him to a sin that needs to be repented of. He should make the patient feel bad, but not too bad, just vaguely bad. And this will make him reluctant to think of God and prevent him from repenting or changing his ways. Soon the patient will want to be distracted from praying because praying, by making him conscious of his guilt, conviction, will make him feel bad. So blinding us to the fact that our feelings of guilt are because of sin keep us from repenting. We have to see our sin and repent. The second thing about biblical repentance is that it requires action. Um, who did I give Luke 3, 3 through 8? Nate, was that you? Okay, we take Nate the microphone, please. <clears throat> he went into all, all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall be made straight, the rough way smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. Jonah said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you, we, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Okay, fruit in keeping with repentance is what John was looking for. Repentance involves action. I'm going to read you another passage from the screw tape letters because I think this one describes this really well. And... Um, he says, my dear Wormwood, it seems to me that you take a great many pages to tell a very simple story. The long and the short of it is that you have let this man slip through your fingers. The situation is very grave, and I really see no reason why I should try to shield you from the consequences of your inefficiency. A repentance and renewal of what the other side call grace on the scale which you describe is a defeat of the first order. It remains to consider how we can retrieve this disaster. The great thing is to prevent his doing anything. As long as he does not convert it into action, it does not matter how much he thinks about this new repentance. Let the little brute wallow in it. Let him, if he has any bent that way, write a book about it. This is often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which the enemy plants in a human soul. Let him do anything but act. No amount of pity in his piety, sorry, no amount of piety in his imagination and affections will harm us if we can keep it out of his will. As one of the humans has said, active habits are strengthened by repetition but passive ones are weakened. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. 
And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. When I looked up the opposite of repentant, I found passionless and emotionless. Passionless and emotionless. I thought that was super interesting. Okay, so here's an example. Again, this is one from my life. Over the years, I developed a pretty negative attitude about studying the Bible through anything other than just a straight read. And so what I mean by that is no outside resources. And it wasn't because I thought that using outside resources was wrong, but it was because I just didn't think God meant it to be that hard to understand the Bible. And my biggest proof of this fact, (laughs) until pretty recently, was that computers and research weren't readily available to people like they are today. So most people would have never had access to these resources. And so God surely did not expect us to use these resources to be able to understand the Bible. But one day I was convicted by the thought, but what does that have to do with you? Like, you have easy access to research materials. You can sit and do research in your own home on your computer. You can listen to theologians in your car as you drive places. Just because other Christians couldn't, what does that have to do with you? And so I thought about that, and I was convicted by that, and I repented of that. But then that repentance involved an action. It involved having to turn away from the old way of thinking and acting and thinking in a new way. That's what repentance is. And so this involved reading books that were very difficult for me and made me think a lot. It re- involved reading books that were, very, that were written by people that I didn't agree with, that had ideas that I didn't agree with. It involved rereading the Bible and applying some of these new insights that I had gained, some of the new information I had gained. And most recently, it involved taking the Old Testament and New Testament foundations class. The lectures are anywhere from two to two and a half hours, and it usually took me five because I had to go back and I had to take notes and I had to re-listen to try and understand what it was they were saying. As I read the textbook for the New Testament Foundations class for the first time, I cried. I have never felt more stupid in my entire life and more hopeless in my entire life. And I almost didn't go to the first class because of that. And it was hard. There was a lot of potential to be wrong. And I've already told you how I feel about that. But if I were able to describe how I feel about studying and using outside resources to help me get the background of what the Bible meant to its original hearers so that I can then figure out what it might mean to us today, I would say that I did a 180. That I did a 180. And that's what it means to repent. But here's the big deal. It was not about my acting. So My actions needed to happen for it to be full repentance, but it wasn't about my acting. It was about God's transformative work, which leads to my next point. 
Biblical repentance paves the way for Jesus through the Holy Spirit to transform us. Biblical repentance paves the way for Jesus through the Holy Spirit to transform us. See, as I did those new actions, God worked through that, and he created within me the desire to learn and study, and I never could have done that on my own. No matter what I had done, I could not have created that on my own. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. One of the biggest obstacles we battle in preparing the way for the Lord is realizing that we are not him. John the Baptist proclaimed over and over and over again, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. And we should follow his example in that. And you're probably sitting there thinking, I already know I'm not the Christ. Do you? Do you go to your job or your classes thinking that you can pull it all off on your own ability? Do you work on your marriage thinking you can make it because of your own insight? Do you make life decisions using your own wisdom? Do you go days and weeks without reading your Bible or talking to God or participating in community because you're too busy for that stuff? If the answer to any of those or any questions like those is yes, then no matter what your mouth says, your life says, I am Christ. If, however, you truly realize that you're not Christ, then you're a man or a woman who prioritizes time with him because you know that, like it says in John 15, 5, apart from him, you can do nothing. Transformation starts when we put away our I-can-do-this-myself attitude and realize we can't do anything without Jesus. And one more passage from Screwtape Letters, and it says this. Whenever they are attending to the enemy, who remember in this, the enemy is God, whenever they, talking about us, are attending to the enemy himself, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him towards themselves. Keep them, sorry, keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings there by the action of their own wills. When they meant to ask him for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they are doing. When they meant to pray for courage, that let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they are praying for forgiveness, let them be trying to feel forgiven. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. I think that's a good example of trying to do it on our own and not letting God be the transformative one in our lives. See, the answer to our guilt is not buckling down and trying harder through our own efforts. When we do that, one of two things happens. Either we find some success, which inflates our sense of pride and pushes us further from being repentant, 
or it drives us, we, we, instead of success, we experience failure, which is most often what happens, and it makes us dejected and just resigned to our sin. Like, why try? I, I can't do this. The answer to our guilt is repenting as we rely on God daily and hourly to transform us to be able to turn from that. While it's true that biblical repentance requires action on our part, we must never mistake that our action is transformative. Our actions prepare the way for the one who is transformative. And verse 4 emphasizes, verse 4 says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged place is a plain. And what it's emphasizing there is that no obstacle will prevent God from coming in transformative grace to deliver his people. So in summary, I just want to go back over some of those points. We prepare the way for the Lord through repentance. Biblical repentance requires us to see our sin, and it requires action. Repentance prepares the way for Christ through the Holy Spirit to transform us. It's transformative. And then verse 5 is the coolest of all. And it tells us that when we've prepared the way through repentance for Jesus to transform us, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All prepared hearts, it says all the people together, will see the glory of the Lord as he leads us out of our captivity to sin and death and leads us into life. This is the answer to our guilt. And this is sure because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So as we get ready to take communion today, Debbie, would you read John 1, 19 and 20, please? And uh, Josh is bringing you the microphone. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. So as we take communion, I think it's really easy to take control of our lives and forget that Jesus is Lord. And as we take communion together, let's recommit together to making Jesus Lord of our lives, and let's celebrate the victory that we experience through him as our Lord. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that you would teach us how to prepare our hearts for you by repenting. I pray that we'd be able to see our sin, that we'll take the action necessary to turn away from our sin, and that we would let your Holy Spirit do transformative work in our lives to heal us of that sin. I pray, God, that we would not grow weary, that we would not give up, that we would not lose hope, that we would but that we would continue to trust you as our Lord. I pray that if there's any way that we have um, unintentionally or intentionally reverted back to making ourselves the Lord of our lives, I pray, God, that uh, we would repent of that right now, and I pray that we would recommit to Jesus being the Lord of our life. 
God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the way that it speaks to us, and I thank you for the pictures that it gives to us and for the way that um, it declares to us your love for us and all the way through your love for us. And we just love you so much and are so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.